Today's reading is Revelations 5, 11 through 14. It can be found on pages 1141 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Revelations 5, 11 through 14. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. God of grace, as we listen to these words, and as we meditate on them and consider what they mean for our world and for our lives, we ask for your help that as we listen and as we come from different places with all different kinds of questions or moods or experiences that all of us would be helped by you in meeting you and in understanding you in seeing you and in hearing from you a sense that we have as we walk away from here we have had a meeting with you that was um, that we didn't necessarily set on our calendar. You had it in mind, and you knew the agenda. And you used this time in this meeting to show us something of yourself because you move towards people who are fragile and broken and imperfect, and you bring your grace and your love and compassion. Bring that now and teach us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. What is a sacrifice that has changed your life? That was the question of the week, and and, um, most people went the direction answering the question related to parent and child relationships. It kind of makes a lot of sense, right? Um, Someone said, my first thought was to say, having children. Someone else said, having children, staying home with them for 12 years. I didn't realize how each stage of their development would change and challenge me so much. Someone else thought of their own parents. My dad regularly took time to be with me growing up, sacrificing in many ways in his work schedule and career. Someone else said, the unconditional love of my parents. It was a sacrifice that changed their life. Sacrifice. Some of the oldest 
most familiar stories in the Jewish and Christian scriptures have within them sacrifice, but literal sacrifice involving animal an animal being slain and the prominent place of blood in the stories. You go back all the way to when God came out of nowhere into Abram's life, and his name was Abram, and then it was changed to Abraham, but that one of those first key stories where this covenant is made, a promise is made by this strange God for the, to this strange guy from out of nowhere. And there are some animals. Abram is told to, um, to cut them in half and, and kind of have like a, a path of blood in the middle to walk through. And then um, a little bit later, uh, God, the same God tests Abraham. And this is one of the most famous stories in the Bible, where Abram is, Abraham, is, his name is Abraham now, he's told to take his, his, his one son, his only son, the son whom he loves, and take him up to a mountain to sacrifice him to this God. Now that made sense in the worldview of Abraham, and, but Abraham was to find out through the story that that was merely a test and that God was actually going to provide this ram, an animal, up on that mountain and that would be the sacrifice. Um, so in a way, this God did something that made sense to Abraham. doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But it did something that made sense to Abraham. But then in the final analysis of that story, that God went against the grain of the culture, cultures around Abraham, which would have said, sacrifice your child to the God. And he said, no, that's not what this is about. Here's a ram, an animal. And blood, and um, and then the probably the most prominent central story in the whole tradition of the Jewish faith and of the Israelites in the Old Testament is the Passover, when they were freed and liberated from slavery in Egypt, and this crucial practice of finding a one-year-old lamb, and the blood of this lamb goes on the doorposts of their house, and that's how they are saved from what is being brought upon the Egyptians, which are eventually going to free the Israelites because God's hand is going to be so heavy on them and it's going to release them. Blood, sacrifice. I would say whether, whether you're an ancient, whether it's an ancient story or a contemporary story, there's this common universal human grappling with a gap, with a distance between us and God, with a uh, sense of falling short of an ideal and missing the mark. Humanity's universal sense that we are in some way, especially when it comes to the potential existence of a divine being, we in some way are underperforming and something needs to be done about it. Just that sense, that's what sacrifice gets at. And not just sin, you know, you might say, oh, this is typical, this sounds typical preacher stuff, you know, sin, right? This is all just about sin. And it's, but it's way bigger than that. It's like the whole world not working right. And what will, who will carry a load or who will give up something to make it start working right? So we sacrifice 
And, and a lot of us have entered into that in one way or another. I think you could probably, you might say, no, I don't, I don't do that. I'm not, you know, I'm smart enough to know not to operate in that realm. But I, I, would, I would suggest all of us, in some way or another, follow this pattern. You know, you say, I give up. You know, maybe it is a, a religious way that you go about it. I, if I give God money, you know, financial sacrifice, will my child come out of a coma? If I faithfully obey religious rules, will God bring me the spouse I've always desired? If I dutifully sacrifice myself and become the perfect image of a housewife, will my husband finally pay attention to me? If I get baptized or, or start giving up my Sunday mornings or join a Bible study or teach Sunday school, will, you know, fill in the blank, will God finally like me? Will I finally get pregnant? Will I get that job that I'm longing for? Will I finally feel worthwhile? Will my depression finally go away? Will temptation finally go away? Will things finally go my way? Sacrifice. It, I don't think it would be accurate and appropriate and fully honest to turn our nose up at this concept of sacrifice. You know, we're, we're smart enough to know not to do that. That's only for naive, ancient types of people who want to go that route at trying to imagine the world getting better. I think we, we live in a world, and we know this, and we all kind of enter into this. We live in a world where fixes are required. And even as post-enlightenment people, we find our resources inadequate to the task, and so we're still prone in one way or another to put forth a sacrifice and then to sort of look upward somewhere. Maybe you call it the universe. Maybe you call it karma. But you look up and you say, well, now I've put out this. Will things get fixed? Will something get better? And so we're putting down payments towards solutions that we can't afford and hoping that this God maybe sees our down payment and comes in and, and signs the note at the bottom as the guarantor. I think we can all acknowledge there's discord, there's injustice, there's human failure, and we need some method to overcome it. What's your method of sacrifice? What's your method? And if your hope, and if your, your hope for things getting better, it all rests on the sacrifices you are making, then one of the things that I hope you'll hear today is that you are ripe and ready for the relief of the gospel, for the relief of what it means to enter into this story of God in these pages. Relief of Revelations chapter 5 of all beings worshiping the Lamb who was slain. To make things better, we usually rely, we're, we're looking to rely on ourselves, on our sacrifices, even, and even when we're asking God for help, Right? But we're really imagining it's our sacrifice that's going to turn that key just right to get God to finally start operating on our behalf. 
But when you get the gospel, when you get the gospel, then you, for periods of time, you actually, and, and it's not a, you know, we're all human, and the gospel doesn't just immediately make sense all the time, and you can live out of it like you should. It, it's in fits and starts, but for some periods of time, when you get the gospel, you can finally rest. You finally rest from, from the, in a sense, the addiction to believing that it's going to be my sacrifice that's going to make all the difference. Because the gospel is, is when you see that God bridges the gap. God's only son pays the sacrifice. God sheds blood. God. God sheds blood. Um, the Christian says, finally, finally a sacrifice. A lasting one that works, that is for good. Finally, you can really stop expecting that God will extract something painful from you in the end, that that's what this is all about. He's going to extract your blood, sweat, and tears. No, God has already extracted it and given it of himself. So in Revelation 5, we have, in a sense, the end result of this reality of what God has done. And the end result of the word getting out, that this is how things now work, this is now the fix. The fix is in, the final fix the lamb who was slain is portrayed in this interesting scene in Revelation chapter 5. Um, it's really an astonishing passage. Um, in John chapter 1, the first two encounters that John the Baptist has with Jesus involves John the Baptist being sort of a, a one strange guy in the middle of everyone else saying something very strange. And he's saying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then the next day, John was, this is literally what it says, then the next day John was there again with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by. He said, look, the Lamb of God. It's a very strange thing to do and to say, right? It's odd. But he's, in a sense, he's like a, he's like a harbinger. He's like a foretaste, a, a first fruit of someone getting it, of someone seeing it and seeing Jesus for who he is. It's, just, and it's just something to shout out and point out to everyone and tell everyone because the, the fix is in. The final gap has been closed. The injustice, the terror of the things we face in this life is finally, finally figured out. Something has finally happened. The lamb was slain. The Lamb of God. And, um, and, and the book of Revelation is, in some ways, it's tough. It's tough to talk about. It's tough to get into because um, I think if you're smart and if you're sharp, you're wanting to say, like, well, what's some of the literary context of this? And you read on and it gets really hard to understand. This is a very, the most difficult book in the Bible to make sense of. Um, unfortunately, the, way, the, the approach that's most popular in American Christianity in the last 200 years um, is, I think, pretty far off. It spends most of its time on the areas that are most confusing and then imagines that if you just know a couple of things, all the confusion will be gone. And it goes into the things that are most odd and random and dreamlike because it is a different kind of literature that's dreamlike. 
And then it says, like, it, you know, you kind of have to decode what the years mean and what the different creatures and the eras and the things stand for. And then the final clincher that, that I think where this approach goes wrong is that um, this kind of popular approach with this book is that um, it imagines the events of today are what are being forecasted in some way in this book. Um, when, in fact, um, it's the only real events that you can tie this to are the events around the time it was written, and it makes sense, but then all those confusing things, a lot of it is just better to lef be left kind of, kind of just, uh, you know, not like there's a direct one-to-one -one correlation to every little odd detail, but... And, and so then if you read this book and you can remove yourself from some of that, and maybe some of you have even gone to churches where um, um, you were schooled in some of that, if you actually step back and, and see some of the places where there's very clear things. There's not a lot of, like, you know, there's not like all these numbers and all these crazy odd things. There's just something very clear. There's incredible themes that come out through this book. And they're there all the way through the book. Um, last week we dealt with this, the idea of a timeless God, which in their, the time, their very uncertain times when this was written, Christians being persecuted, it was such a relief to know that the times are in God's hands. And that was just a huge purpose of this book. An another thing is the one that we're looking at today, which is talking about this lamb who is slain and how there's a worthy one. So John, as he's dreaming this, he has this thing where he's, there's all these scrolls that are being held by the one on the throne, God, but then no one is found to be worthy. They, they call out, Who's, who can open these scrolls? And no one is found to be worthy to open the scrolls. And John starts weeping and crying and sobbing. And then the lamb comes in who looks as if he was slain. And then he can open, he's worthy. He can open. And so this scene that we are reading today where all these creatures are just falling down in worship and, and they're saying, worthy is the lamb, and they're just ecstatic. And then what the passage does is it, it shows you um, um, different layers of audiences. It kind of keeps expanding the circles until there's, there's not only kind of some of these main characters of the story, there's the throne, there's the elders, and then, but then there's thousands of angels, there's rings of angels, and then it says that, um, all creatures on heaven and, in heaven and earth. So it just keeps expanding, not just this heavenly realm, but earthly creatures, heavenly creatures, and everyone's doing the same thing. Everyone's orienting around the same one, the lamb who was slain. And so in a way you can see, um, especially for Christians in the first century, the world was not working right for them. Who's going to fix the world? How's it going to get fixed? How's it going to get tidied up? You can see this, they're not given the image of a strange man wearing, eating locusts in the wilderness, just one guy pointing and saying, here's the lamb. It's now expanded that, as if everyone can see it. It's the clearest thing in the world. You're not some kind of crazy, oddball, goofy person if you're anchoring your hope in your life in the lamb who was slain. I think that I think we still need that today. I think that there's a way in which a lot of you are just wrestling with the fact that your family members, your neighbors, your coworkers think that you are nuts if you believe some of the stuff that Christians believe, the empty tomb, the lamb who was slain, and that you're actually anchoring your hope in that. This is a passage that that just kind of 
Isn't it funny how perspective can switch things? From one person looks at it and say, you're just a peripheral outlier, oddball person who has these crazy weird beliefs. And, and John in, in the book of Revelation kind of flips it and says, this is what anyone and everyone who can see knows, is, it, is this lamb who was slain is, an, is the center of everything. And the reason not to weep anymore. And the reason to sing. <laughs> There's a sense in which we are invited to peer into that picture, that sort of futuristic dream picture of ori- everyone oriented around the lamb and to just join it. Have you joined the circle of acknowledgement of the lamb who is slain? Have you, seen in, have you seen that once and for all, that the Christian faith stands out amidst all of the approaches to life and all of the religions that stand before you as saying God, God himself has entered in and bridged the gap and paid this price and made this sacrifice. And he's not standing around saying, come and I will extract it from you, and then you might be worthy. He says, no. Here's my lamb. The lamb is worthy. Worthy is the lamb. Come rest and sing and celebrate and live with joy and live with hope again. That's the gospel. And that's why, you know, Robert uh, Mounts, um, his quote is here in the worship guide, his name's actually spelled wrong, but his, it's Robert Mounts, and he says, nowhere else in, literature of, in the literature of worship will one find a scene as un, as, of such unrestrained praise and adoration. Because this, this is what you need to know about... This, this is what it looks like when people f- fully get what the Lamb who was slain is all about. It just becomes the biggest unrestrained worship event ever. And Tim Keller puts it this way, another great quote here. Imagine that you were in Egypt just after the first Passover. If you, if you stopped Israelites in those days and, and said, who are you and what is happening here? They would say, I was a slave under a sentence of death, but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb and escaped that bondage. And now God lives in our midst and we are following him to the promised land. That is exactly what Christians say today. If you trust in Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice, the greatest longings of your heart will be satisfied on the day you sit down for the eternal feast in the promised kingdom of God. Have you, have you entered into the circle of praise of the Lamb who is worthy? Let's pray. God, we are um, we go in and out of living our lives, um, putting forth sacrifices, and hoping and planning and imagining that maybe a reward will come, or that our sacrifice might someday get acknowledged or recognized. Instead, you invite us. And we ask that you help us to receive that invitation. The invitation to see that the reward is already there because the sacrifice that matters has already accomplished. 
You invite us to start with empty hands that we might joyfully, winsomely, without a care in the world, find sacrifices to make um, in which we are not looking for reward, in which we are not pinning our hopes, but which just flow out of the fact that we have seen that you are worthy and your lamb is worthy and all is going to be good because of the lamb who is slain. God, as we have a chance to um, come in a little bit to the table of grace and remember the sacrifice of your son on the cross, may you impress upon our hearts exactly what we need so that we might um, hear what you are saying through this today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.